Well, good morning, Rock Hills. As Adam said, we are continuing our series called Pursuit. And when he sent me the schedule of who was going to talk about what, I said, so Adam, you're going to talk about the lost sheep one week, and then the very next week, I'm going to talk about the lost coin. Are you sure those won't overlap? Because they talk about very similar things. Jesus uses three parables to illustrate the same, a kind of similar point. He said, oh, Stephen, no, you and I, we come at things so differently. I'm sure that there will not be a lot of overlap. And man, he was 100% right. So when he was giving his talk last week, I was like, wow, he was right. There is no overlap or not that much in what we're, the God part, that overlapped. But um, so uh, he did set it up really well last week that these three parables, parables are little short stories or anecdotes that really fit a cultural context that teach a, a concept that's really easy to understand. And he, Jesus is at a meal with some religious leaders and also with some sinners that they would have called tax collectors, tax collectors, prostitutes, other people that were considered the lowest of the low in society. And the religious leaders were upset with Jesus for talking to them and eating with them because they said, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be acknowledging them in this way. And so Jesus told these three parables. One of them was the one of the lost sheep, but the one we're doing today is the lost coin. So let's read that second parable that Jesus told as a follow-up to the one about the lost sheep. It's from Luke 15, verses 8 through 10. It says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And as I said, parables are were especially in the context in which they were told, they hit the spot, man. They were very, very clear and made the point very clearly. But today, we might think, a coin? A coin? Is that really a big deal? So I did some research on why would one coin have had so much value? And although we don't know for sure, there were kind of two theories on it. One of them was that a coin, a silver coin, was considered a wage for a day. So this would have meant your food for the day. So missing the coin would have meant her family didn't eat for the day. But the other was that back in this culture, the family of a groom often paid the family of the bride when she got married. And these 10 coins could have been that payment. And these women would often wear them as a necklace or a headdress. And it kind of became a symbol of her and her worth. And so missing one would have said either that she was careless about this important symbol or that they were in financial trouble and she had to sell one of the coins to pay. So it would have been a a kind of dishonor to her to be missing the coin in that way. And that's why one of the reasons that the coin could have been so important. But for us today, the coin represents people or the lost coin represents us. So as I have... Here, we have a coin representing us, um, and I am so bad with these microphones, but this coin represents us, and I'm going to use this symbol in future slides and just be thinking, you are represented, I am represented by the person who is wearing green in these upcoming slides, because the question of the day is, why would God care about us? Why would God care about the one coin in 10, right? 
Why would God care about this one little insignificant coin? But the truth is, as told in these parables, God cares about us, loves us, and actually pursues us. So I'm going to talk a little bit about different ways that people may view this question of does God care about us, kind of different philosophies people might have. You might identify with one of these philosophies. The first philosophy is the one that I think a lot of people have today, and that is we are, there is no God really, we are just chemistry. We're a bunch of chemicals. We're a big set of chemicals, and everything that happens about us is a chemical reaction. That's called the naturalist view of the world or the naturalist worldview. So there I have us there. We're, yeah, we're people, but really we're just the atoms that are floating around and everything that happens to some of this chemical reaction. I have to give some props to my wife, though, Laura, who is the administrator for the church. She makes these slides, and I came to her this week and said, okay, I need like 10 people with coins on their heads and atoms going around. <laughs> I think she did a really good, a really good job with that. Um, yeah. But this view of the world is very common, especially in my workplace, that everything comes down to the chemistry. There is no God guiding anything. And that's, that's fine. A lot of people have that view. I, I do think that there are some challenges with that view that people that I know that have held that view have come to when they've thought it through. Because remember that science only explains the what, it doesn't explain the why. So you might say science explains the why. Uh, when I drop a ball, why does it fall to the earth? And I would say, no, really what science explains is the what. When you have an object that has this mass up here and the earth has this mass and there's a distance between them, how fast does it fall? That's what science explains. It explains it well. It describes well, but it doesn't say the why. And I'd like to give a quick example of this. And this example, I'm going to be honest with you, I may have given it before and I don't quite recall. I think I practiced with it before and struck it out. But if it's a repeat... Please forgive me and just say, oh, nice. That was a nice example. I've never heard that one before. Um, so I'll give an example of the church that I grew up in in middle school and high school. We had a camp, and I was a counselor at that camp. It was a really great experience. I've probably described that before. And uh, there was a family in the church. I did not know them well. There was a family in this church, and they had a son who was two years younger than I was. And he was a counselor with me. But that family also had what we call a bonus baby. You know, you think you're done, then all of a sudden, surprise, there is another son who was seven years younger than the guy at camp with me, and his name was Aaron. And I only knew Aaron because he had been to camp as a little kid, little six-year-old kid, cute kid, everything, you know, nice kid, as I remember. I had kind of like pleasant memories of him being at camp. And Along when I was in graduate school or a little bit later, I kind of heard about an incident that happened with Aaron. When Aaron was 18, he had this cousin, a girl, who had started dating a guy that was not good news. In fact, this girl became fearful in dating this guy. So fearful, in fact, that she wanted to spend time away from her apartment where he knew that she lived. And so Aaron, at 18, went with her to the apartment to pick up some clothes to take with her so she could be away from the apartment. And while he was there, wow, microphone. While he was there, um, some associates of the boyfriend showed up the house, the apartment, mistook Aaron for the boyfriend and killed him. 
And even though I did not know that family very well, my heart cried out for justice. To imagine having so little respect for life that you don't even care the identity of the person that you end their life. It's evil. There's no word for that, but evil. But if you have this worldview, the word for that is chemistry, right? If this is your worldview, that the only thing going on is chemistry, how can you even call that wrong? Do we call it evil when a lion kills a zebra? No. But we all know in our heart there is something different about murder than there is about an animal killing another. And yet, if you hold to this view, I don't see how you can find it wrong, right? Because there is no why. There's only a what. If you hold this view, I don't, you know, it's just a question that I'm asking about your view. It's not a criticism. It's a question about your view. How do you reconcile things like that? If you're a person that holds that view and wants to read more about it, there's a really great book called Mere Christianity. It's an older book. Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And the first part of it talks about this view that we are all um, just, that the only thing that is involved in this universe is the material universe, the chemicals, the substance. It's a good thing to read. That's one way we could see ourselves as a coin. Now, another way that you might view life, you might view us, is you might say, you know, I look at nature and I see a lot of order, I see a lot of beauty, I see things that just make me convinced that something created this. There's too much order for me to think random. But even though I think somebody, some force created it, I'm not so sure that that force interacts today with us. Right? I'm not so sure. I think that this person or this force kind of set it up, but then just let it go in motion. That's kind of a deist worldview. And I know some people who think this way. Um, and it is in this view, it is difficult to believe that God knows us personally because we are just one of seven billion, right? Here we're one of 10, but like if you hold this view, it's a little hard to believe that God interacts with you personally. And I understand that. I understand why you would feel that way. But you know, the book that tells us the why, the Bible, which I believe and we at Rock Hills believe is God's inspired word, tells us the why. And it tells us that God knows us personally. I'm going to read a verse, which is an amazing set of verses about God knowing us. It's from Psalm 139. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Listen to this. Amazing. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. And you lay your hand upon me Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. An amazing thing that God knows our thoughts before we have them. This is, by the way, quite a distinction to what most other faiths in the world will tell you, that God knows you personally and interacts with you personally. In Luke, uh, the other thing that the Bible tells us, and this is amazing, not only does he just know us kind of intellectually, 
but we have value to God. Now, this is repeated in many places in the Bible, but this one I like, and I, have, I think I've used it before because I just like it so much. It says, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Amazing thing. God says here and elsewhere, you have value. It's not just that I know you exist, but you have value. And now perhaps we can convince ourselves that maybe even that's true, but there are some of you here, maybe a little bit like I feel sometimes, that the idea that God knows you personally is not a good thing. You feel like, ugh. If he knows me personally, that means he knows my mess, right? He knows my stuff, the stuff I'm not so proud of. And you think of yourself as being unworthy of love because you know deep down things that you've done that are wrong. I know deep down things that I have done that are wrong. I've illustrated this, hope it shows up here, um, of we think of our coin as being dirty. We think of our coin as being covered in dirt. (laughs) We think that God, if he knows us, could not possibly love us. Right? And the Bible gives us two important messages on this, and they are, to me, unique and pretty distinct. The first message is that God knows us and that we cannot earn favor with him. We can't do enough good stuff to overcome the bad. So in some sense, it is true that God's love is undeserved in the sense of being unearned. But the Bible is clear that he loves us anyway, that he gives us favor anyway, even though we don't deserve it. I was trying to think, as I was preparing for this talk, I was trying to think of an example from my life that might illustrate this feeling of something that is totally undeserved. And I uh, I thought back, of course, to my geeky childhood. When I was in elementary school, when I was about 11, I went to this small church. And as I prepared for this sermon today, I uh, went back down memory lane. It is now a funeral home. <laughs> it's a pretty building. It's a pretty small building, but uh, it's now a funeral home. But when I was there, there was this older kid. So I was, um, I was 11. He was probably 16. And I really looked up to him, you know, like a like a kid would, like a totally a childish thing. But I really looked up to the kid. In fact, I thought this kid was cool. I remember thinking about this kid, Brian, that he was like so, so cool. Because I've been aware for a very long time that I'm not, right? I mean, so I, uh, you know, in high, I don't look back in my childhood like and say, oh, I regret, you know, I don't think people were nice. But it's always been clear I wasn't in a popular group. People would talk about parties in high school that, they were having that, you know, 
would invite 50 people, so clearly the desire to invite me was 51 or later, <laughs> you know. So they were talking, and I wouldn't, but I didn't, I had friends, so I'm not, I didn't feel abandoned or anything, but I always realized I wasn't one of the cool kids, and I had it in my head that this kid was, he wore like a hat, so I'm like, who wears a hat? <laughs> he just thought, who, could, he had, he had a scar on one of his eyes, and like, you know, he, I think he was bitten by a dog, and I just imagined him, like, wrestling that dog to the ground. <laughs> I don't, I really have no idea why, but he was, uh, I would go to vacation Bible school, because I was cool, and um, at this church, and uh, he was, one year, my last year I was there, he was my leader, and the way I found out he was my leader is they brought us into a room, and they kind of divided the kids up, and this Brian was the first one to speak, and said, I'll take you. You, I want you in my group. And you know, I'm this kid. I mean, it's like when Sam Herring talks to me. I'm like, oh, Sam, what? Such, such a great thing. But as a young kid who was impressionable and looked up to an older kid, this meant a lot to me. And I was aware, it's like, why would he pick me? That doesn't make any sense. He's a cool kid. He's got the scar, you know? Um, it didn't make any sense to me, but I was kind of overwhelmed by it and really happy because he had... I felt like chosen me. Now, as an adult, I look back and ask a few questions. One was, really, the kid that was my Bible school leader was the cool, was who I thought was cool? Yeah, okay. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there was a piece of paper that said, these kids are in your group, and the way he said it was, hey, you, you know, you're in my group. But to me, I thought of this as, I'm being picked for something by this person I admire so much, and there's nothing about me that says he should pick me. I feel the same way, and even not even the same way, so much more so about God who looks at us, knows the mess we have made, and still says, I love you, and I want to offer you this gift of forgiveness for your sins. It's the simple truth. God looks at us, knows us, and loves us despite the mess we've made. He was even willing to die for us to take the penalty for those sins. So instead of being worried about God knowing us well, what I think we should do, uh, well, King David from the, from the Old Testament, back in the Psalm 139, he encourages God to know him and cleanse him from his unrighteousness. This is how we should react, in my view, to God knowing us. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart, Trust me or test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And I think that Jesus explained it even more clearly. He says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Folks, this is the message of the gospel. God has said that his standard is no sin. None, not one. And that any sin that we commit breaks our fellowship with him and is deserving of punishment. But he sent his son Jesus to pay that penalty to pay that penalty for us, lived a perfect life, was crucified and resurrected, to pay that penalty for us. 
And all we have to do is accept, is believe and accept this free gift from him for our sins to be forgiven. And that is more, is infinitely more overwhelming, but infinitely amazing that God would do that for us because he loves us and because he pursues us. And now as I continue, I'm going to ask the band to come out because they're going to be singing a really cool song in a minute, but I want to let you know that I am aware this is not a surprise. <laughs> it's not my birthday. <laughs> they are coming out. Um, and now once we take this step of faith, God no longer sees us as a dirty coin. Or no longer sees that. What he sees is the payment made by his son. He looks at us and that dirt is gone, those sins are gone, that wickedness is gone, and what he sees instead is the righteousness of his son. And I'd like to read a great set of verses from 1 John that remind us that once we've taken this step of faith, perfection is not required. In fact, it even says that we are deceiving ourselves if we think we can be sin-free. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, however, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. It says in that book, once we have taken that step, he doesn't see that dirty coin. He sees his son, and all we have to do is confess these sins, and he will purify us. Do you get stuck today worrying about the things that you do that are wrong, that it can't, that God couldn't really love you? Do you start taking, you start questioning this idea? Well, I'm encouraging you that the scripture tells us, the Bible, the book that tells us the why tells us those sins are forgiven. In fact, that people that say they are sin-free are just deluding themselves. Don't let the fact that you mess up keep you from relationship with God. He is there for you, pursuing with you, even when you make mistakes. And I'm going to ask Josh to sing a fantastic song that he found that really fits this message. Feeling that it's not true tonight. 
knows all the answers She's rehearsed all the lines So she'll try to do better Instead she's too weak to try But don't she know who you are? You are more than the choices that you make You are more than some of your past mistakes You are more than the problems you You've been remade You are more than the choices that you make You are more than the problems to create You are more than the problems you create You've been remade Cause this is not about what you've done But what's been done for you song you have been remade you are not the dirty coin anymore if you have taken that step of faith you belong to God he does not see the wrong you do he sees the penalty paid by his son let's pray father we just thank you for the fact that you pursue us even when we are unworthy We thank you for your love that leaves the 99 sheep who are okay and searches for the one who leaves the nine coins, who doesn't worry about the nine coins that are already okay and worries about the one sinner who needs to repent. Pray that anyone here who needs to feel that repentance will seek you out, will make that decision to follow you today. Thank you for your amazing love. In your son's name, amen.